Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large at EdSource, which, by the way, is celebrating its 40th anniversary. John, you had a report yesterday on this state plan that California had to submit to the federal government for the Every Student Succeeds Act under the provisions of the act. Why did California have to do this? I mean, Donald Trump is saying sending power back to the states, education is a local responsibility. In fact, that's what the Every Student Succeeds Act is all about, returning more power to the state. So what, what's the purpose of this plan? Every state has to submit. Right? Yes, every, every state has to submit a plan because you're right. The Every Student Succeeds Act, which replaced the No Child Left Behind, does give states more control over the amount of a couple of billion dollars worth of federal money for California that's covered by this act. And also... Oh, the, and just to clarify, yeah. because it's you said a couple of billion, but I, about California, $3 billion. California gets $8, 10000000000 billion dollars from yeah, the federal government. Yeah, about $8 billion. Dollars. So this is about a third, and the other money is school lunches and special education money. So this is the money that counts for fixing schools and for fixing low-income schools. That fixing academic... academic uh, yes. Yeah. And also, it's a couple hundred million dollars for something called Title II, which is for teacher development and instruction. And it also covers after school programs. And so, add it all up together. It's mainly Title I, about almost $2 billion for low income students. So, in return for that money, the federal government has said uh, under the law that states need to be accountable. They need to show how they're going to be using this money to improve the schools that need help. So part of its responsibility is to identify these schools and then to show how they're going to use the money. It's just that the Every Student Succeeds Act has given the states a lot more control over how they do this. So what is in this plan? I mean, is this light reading or... Guess it's all relative. That's how I spent my weekend. So, but it's about eighty pages. This is just the first draft, mm -hmm. and the plan itself will be voted on by the state board, which controls the money, in September. And so, for the next four or five months, the state board is going to be in, inviting sort of the details of the plan. Okay. So, what is in this plan? I mean, anything interesting? Anything newsworthy? Yeah, well, it certainly will be newsworthy by the time it's adopted, which is to say, how do you choose these schools? They're going to choose what, the, lo the, the lowest performing lowest, schools. That's right. The lowest performing 5% of schools, a couple hundred schools that get Title I money. But what the state has done, which is interesting, Lewis, is, you know, the state's been developing its own school and district accountability plan. So under the Every Student Succeeds Act, it has the ability to take this state plan and basically graft it onto this plan and say, we're going to take the state plan that we've developed. That's going to be satisfy our federal requirements. We're going to be using much of the money to work into the state plan so it's all compatible. So the dashboard we've talked about before, that's going to be used to identify the lowest performing schools and also the subgroups of students that need help, it's all going to be based on the state accountability system, which has been rolled out over the past year. This was a big deal that this, the State Board of Education was making. As this whole Every Student Succeeds Act has been debated, that California wants to drive its own reform agenda. 
and not conform to what the federal government wants, but rather to try to have what the federal government wants conform to what California is doing. Does this plan reflect that? Well, it does. Very interesting thing about the Every Student Succeeds Act, it's different from No Child Left Behind, is that in this law, it says, in fact, states have to use multiple measures, things beyond test scores in which to evaluate schools. That's what California has done that makes its system distinct. And the federal plan not only allows it, but encourages this. So what is the next step then on this plan? I think the next step is particularly to get uh, school boards and teachers and also advocacy groups to come around and agree on how we're going to provide this kind of assistance, who's going to do it, how it's going to be paid for, and what schools will be selected. And also, you know, there's an equity component here, which is to say we want to improve education for all subgroups. And so advocacy groups are going to be really pressing the state board to make this part of the state plan. And California, Jerry Brown, through the local control funding formula, has said, look, we're committed to equity. And so we'll find out how it plays out in the state plan. And this is going to be up for discussion at the State Board of Education meeting this week, coming up uh, in one of this the, will the, the bi-monthly meeting. This will be the first discussion, and then the July meeting, it will be further discussed. In the meantime, there'll be lots of meetings and webinars, and we'll be publishing those times and links as well. Okay, well, keep us posted as this uh, moves through the system. Thank you very much. John Fenstewald. We have Michael Zinstein on the phone. Michael is our Los Angeles reporter. And Michael, this week you took a pretty close look at how the California Charter School Association is trying to increase its influence in Sacramento and actually other parts of the state. What did you basically find? I found that in the last four or five years, the California Charter Schools Association has really redoubled its efforts in campaign spending, specifically in pouring money into campaign races to get members of the Assembly and the Senate elected and also school board members elected. Just just let me ask you, I mean, California and particularly the California legislature has been pretty sympathetic to charter schools over the years. I mean, California was the second state in 1992 to pass a charter school law. California has more charter schools by far than any other state, also proportionately more than you would expect from its population. So what what is the Charter School Association really trying to accomplish? Why do they feel they need more influence? So in the past 13 years, the, the legislature has approved numerous bills that the governors had to shoot down. And these were bills that the Charter School Association opposed. And so one could argue that the Charter Schools Association feels uneasy relying on the veto pen. They would like to have greater stability and support in the actual legislature to both knock down legislation that they view as a threat and to push through legislation that they support. So one of the other things that interested me about your report was that it's not only in terms of money, but they're also trying to really up their ground game. I mean, in terms of really mobilizing people, both in Sacramento and at the grassroots level. What did you find in that regard? I think the Charter Schools Association is a pretty well-run organization. They have several subsidiaries that are pretty focused on the task at hand. So they have, for example, 
CCSA families. The CCSA is the acronym for the Charter School Association. Correct. They do a lot of parent organizing. They do a lot of outreach with former students and charter school educators. One of the more fascinating data points that I uncovered was that in the past three years, they count the number of supporters that they have from around 80,000 to now 280,000. Okay, well, just just quickly, I know there's a big election coming up in Los Angeles where the Charter School Association is putting a lot of money, as well as the CTA. Uh, when when is What's the date of the election? That election is May 16th. We've already seen a lot of money poured into those races in the primaries, which were back in March. There are still two races that need to be decided, and a lot is at stake. If the two charter-supported candidates win, then the school board of Los Angeles arguably flips to a pro-charter school board. Now, that's a big deal symbolically and concretely. Los Angeles is the largest school district in California. It is also the school district with the most number of charters and the number of charter school students in the entire country. Wow, that's huge. Well, Michael, fascinating stuff. I mean, very interesting to see an organization emerging that isn't exactly yet a counterweight to the California Teachers Association, but appears to be threatening the CTA's hegemony in in some of these uh, education debates. So thanks for that. And we'll uh, be hearing from you when the election happens in a couple of weeks. Yes, of course. Lewis, yesterday you wrote about Khan Academy, the interesting development. Of course, Khan Academy is everywhere. It's throughout the globe. So what's new in its relation to California? Well, this is very interesting. Khan Academy, Sal Khan, who's uh, the founder, has uh, come to an agreement with several of the largest county offices of education in Southern California, LA County, Orange County, Riverside County, plus Long Beach Unified, the only district, to really intentionally use Khan Academy materials in the classroom and really help teachers use it in a more integrated way than they have in the past. And we talked with Sal Khan about this, and uh, this is some of what he had to say. But what we've seen is that when we partner with institutions, that it, it, it has a kind of an order of magnitude more effect. You know, this partnership we had with the College Board around the SAT, you know, 50% of all students use Khan Academy for the SAT. And the College Board is able to help engage the students. And so by working with the counties, I think it creates more space and more um, kind of validation for teachers and students to work on. And like at the end of the day, you know, my motivation or Khan Academy isn't just, hey, we want people to use Khan Academy more. We want our motivation. We want people to learn more. So that sounds really exciting. They haven't done this with anybody else, any other district? Sal Khan says that this is the first time they have and made an arrangement with a large, diverse school districts. And he really sees this as a testing ground. I mean, they have a lot of materials that teachers have been using. For example, they have this personalized learning dashboard, which really tracks how a student is performing on certain tasks. I mean, it's very interesting. You can go online and and try it out yourself, but a student takes one of their quizzes or exercises, and then they kind of get a score, and it identifies that you've mastered X skills and that these other skills have to be mastered. And so the teacher could actually see this. The idea is a teacher could load up the names of all their students and really track on a daily basis 
uh, how students are doing. Now, school districts could actually do it themselves. They could set up a system, and there are actually other ways, uh, online apps and programs that are available. But as uh, Chris Steinhauser, who is the superintendent at Long Beach Unified, told me yesterday that uh, Khan Academy can do it a lot better than they can. For a district to come up with its own system would be very difficult. And so the districts, the district, uh, in this case, Long Beach is super excited about having this increased presence. Uh, Chris Steinhauser points out that they've been using the SAT and PSAT tutorials that the Khan Academy developed with the College Board. 90% of students in the 8th to 12th grade are already signed up at Long Beach for these tutorials. And Chris Steinhauser says the gains have been tremendous. So now this arrangement means that they're going to extend the use of the materials to all grades and many other subjects, not just math. I mean, I think Khan Academy is best known for its math, but they actually have uh, materials, courses, tutorials, and so on, videos on many other subjects. So this is all free? All free. I mean, it's free to the districts and to the counties. Counties are going to have to convince districts to participate. It's going to be completely voluntary. Nobody's going to be forced to do it. A district won't have to do it, nor will teachers have to do it. But uh, the view is that this is going to be very appealing to a lot of teachers. In terms of free, the Khan Academy has to pay for it, but they have a lot of donors, uh, and it's a multi-million dollar organization, a charitable organization. But of course, this is something that's usually appealing to districts that they won't have to pay for this. Well, I guess this is part of Salcon's vision, right? Originally, it was just tutoring. You would go to the site if you needed particular help in math and like. But I think Salcon has always seen personalized learning to be part of a school system. Well, this is clearly the direction that things are going. And uh, obviously, the great promise of online materials, tutorials, is that it's going to allow teachers and schools to offer a more personalized approach to learning. And that's why I do see this arrangement as potentially, usually significant, not only for California, but for the country. And as Sal Khan himself said to me, they don't just see this as a short-term experiment with a few districts in California, although admittedly it's, it's 200 districts and 3 million kids, which is about half the kids in public schools in California. So it's, it's, it's happening on a big scale, but he definitely sees this as something, as a trial effort, so this can be expanded uh, across California and across the country. Now, you mentioned that uh, there will be an announcement coming up next week about one of these experiments, sort of the, with the results. No? On Monday, the College Board and Khan Academy, in fact, will be announcing the results of this partnership they've had uh, in terms of free tutorials around the SAT and the PSAT. So that's going to be very interesting to see those results. So that's what I'll be looking at on Monday. And John, what will you be doing next week? Well, we know that there's a state board on Wednesday, but I think on Thursday or Friday, the governor will be coming out with his revised budget from January, the May revision, which is based on the revenue that's come in since then. And so we'll be really watching to see the governor took a very cautious budget in January. And for schools, that meant barely any increase, barely covering costs of pensions in this budget. So everyone's looking to see whether the governor will say, yeah, revenues are up, so schools are going to get more, too. And I have to ask you, the House of Representatives passed their version of repealing 
Obamacare, Trump Care, it's already been called. This is not law yet. It still has to go to the Senate. But do you think the governor's budget will reflect that at all or concern that this might actually pass? Because Californians, if the Senate actually passes this thing, California would lose billions of dollars, which are now supporting Medicaid. That's right. And it would. that's not uh, the money that goes to education, although some of the money that Medi-Cal would lose does support certain things in schools, clinics, and also special education teachers. So there is an impact. I guess the governor is always cautious and conservative. So the big question is, how much is he going to incorporate what the House did this week in his budget for next year? Okay. If you had to put money on it, no pun intended. Do you think there'll be any, the budget will reflect the concerns about the cuts in med, to Medicaid, which, as you say, will affect schools? Yeah, I, mm, this much I know from covering education is don't wager on Jerry Brown. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, John. That wraps it up for this week. I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fensterwald. For more information on these topics, please go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks for listening and see you next week. 